that the Christian standard is not dogma. It is an objective praxis. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, Alex Blanton, Nathan Wilkerson, oh, he's Alex. Kent Hodgkins, are exploring the gospel and uh, what it means and what is, its, uh, how, what is its calling on our lives today. We're in a series called Faith That Works. It does. And today's episode is True North and the Adventure. <laughs> See, we North. were just talking about that, and we're like, what does that mean? What we're going to do is explore Alex the gospel. Talking about that as the truth. Alex wasn't. Alex wasn't was? here for that. Alex wasn't here for that. But I have no idea what yeah, you guys the, are talking about. Yeah. The good news is, is neither do we. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what we're talking about today. Okay. Through the faith, we find clear purpose along with the freedom to fulfill it. So the gospel provides us our true north. Yes, it does. And it gives us the resources to get there. Yeah, I'm not distracted by my phone. It's not like I'm texting somebody right now or Snapchatting or whatever it is those You're kids looking do these up on days. Your Bible? You're I'm just looking up. Yeah, it's pathetic, and it? I just saw somebody. Somebody got up into the pulpit yes uh, on Sunday, and they were like, um, you know, taking their phone with them. And I'm just like, what's happened to us? And that's okay. It's good. I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't have to have a paper Bible like you can't, but uh, I do. I do think it's weird that everything's in our phone. I guess it just is. Uh, yeah, I was just carry on. I, I didn't mean it to be a distraction. So what is the true north that the gospel gives us? I mean, is because, uh, you know, I think people who believe the gospel wouldn't necessarily all agree on the, the true north that gives us. Some would say the true north the gospel gives me is the is the calling to reach as many people as I can for Jesus Christ. And other people would say the true north the gospel gives me is to become like Christ in my character. And others might say it's to get to heaven. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, or it's to raise a godly family. So what's this true north that the gospel gives us? Right. Yeah, good question. Well, uh, you know, the, some of the true norths, so speaking of faith that works, um, when you get to be real old, you know, like really old like me, and, uh, and you realize, and you tried lots of stuff, and because, you know, I've been trying to chase after Jesus, so you guys have to, for a while and you find him somewhat elusive and um not all of it works mm-hmm. you know that there, there's a, a pragmatism here and um and that's what i think is beautiful about the christian system because i've been in a very dogmatic religious system and it didn't matter if it worked you know right it suck was it just up. right so just yeah. do it suck it up and do it mm-hmm. and you know i remember when I started really adopting the beliefs of this fundamentalist group that I was a part of, and I and I just felt terrible in my soul. My soul was dying. I could feel it. Um, I remember meeting with this guy who was kind of like the mentor, and I was like, man, I just feel like the bad guy. I was like, I'm doing what's the right thing, I guess, but I just feel like I'm the villain in this story. And he, oh, yeah, you're not. This is You're just telling, you know, and he... So he's there to, to yeah, get me to ignore, I guess, my conscience. That's the job of the fundamentalist pastor. Um, but as time has gone on and, um, you know, hey, I'm just not strong enough to keep going under something that doesn't work. Uh, some people are. They can go their whole life. Um, but I'm not. And, man, if, if the faith that we espouse does not give back, just can't keep doing it. You know, I can't. 
And so I, I think there are there are adventures we set off on that uh, will end us up in a ditch mm-hmm. <laughs> or at the bottom of a very, you know, a ravine with high walls and we're dead end and we find out, you know, this didn't, this didn't work. And um, rather than doubling down and figuring out how to scale it, it you know, it, sometimes it's wisdom to back up and say, did I, did I get off the path somewhere? Did I take, you know, a misstep? Certainly uh, the Christian life's not always going to be easy, but it should not be soul sucking. It shouldn't leave us, you know, weary in our spirit. It may leave us physically weary and broken, but you know, we, we will have that. Like we talked about last time, that pressed but not crushed. Um, mm-hmm. Being pressed is one thing. Being crushed is something else. And it's like if we find that we don't have the wherewithal to not be crushed, then we probably have taken the wrong. Mm-hmm. a wrong turn somewhere. Um, but I'm looking at Philippians 3 where Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Um, so get to heaven is certainly a part of the goal. Um, but I don't think that's entirely it. I think that getting to heaven was the byproduct for Paul. And I, and I really like that he has these autobiographical sections. I mean, it's great that he expounds the gospel, but uh, it really... There are times when I'm like, okay, great, now I gotta go figure that out, you know. Uh, but when he talks about his own personal life, his struggles, how he applied the gospel, he just seems to kind of foreshorten that application process for me some to give me at least a precedent or a kind of a vignette of how somebody applies the gospel to their life. And so Paul talks about what he wants, what he pursued. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Um, to me, Which that's the goal. goal. That's the true north. Yeah, the, well, I think Res- that the heavenwardness is the byproduct. Like, if we become exactly like Jesus, we're going to share his destination. Um, and so for Paul, it was pursue Christ— end up in heaven <laughs> and, you know yeah or would it be more accurate to say end up raised from the dead yeah we yeah. have we have notions about heaven like if you just say that in today's culture right. go to heaven when you die that may connote a number of ideas that aren't necessarily what paul had in mind yeah yeah i mean i i think it's a both and um but you know jesus jesus says um you can't go with me now you know the book of john i'm going through the book of john now and, and so things kind of go back to there for me but but Jesus he's telling his disciples I'm leaving you can't come with me now and but you will come with me later and Philip or you know one of them says well, how can we go with you we don't know where you're going and uh, we don't know the way and Jesus says I am the way mm-hmm. uh, and so and and I think Paul Paul pursued that so mm-hmm. Jesus himself becomes the true north now that seems vague but Paul says it's not it's not Jesus as in a Nazarene carpenter, it's not Jesus as in a, an itinerant preacher. Uh, it's Jesus crucified and raised from the dead. And I, and I think that, that we have to get it to that narrow point because people get all in all kinds of weird situations when they're trying to follow Jesus as he's portrayed in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we get out of whack. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. Are you saying that the true north, according to Paul, best you understand it, is... Knowing and experiencing the risen Jesus. Is that the true north? I, mean, I want to get yeah. really precise here. Yeah, is yeah, it, sure. Is it, What's my true north? Is it 
becoming becoming like Christ, or is it yeah. be, ex, knowing and experiencing Christ? Yeah, those are you, you can you can say both of those. <laughs> the, that that experiencing Christ's experience is the vehicle through which we become like Christ. So when Paul speaks of the resurrection of the dead, notice that he talks about it as something that he hoped to achieve. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. normally think of resurrection as something we hope to achieve. And he even speaks of it as something he hadn't yet achieved. Like, right. not that I have yet already attained, but I press on mm-hmm. toward the goal. <laughs> right? And so his goal, and, and notice that when he says, I want to know Christ, the first thing he says is, and the power of his resurrection. And and I wouldn't say if I were him, if I were him writing that, and I, I wouldn't have put resurrection first just because chronologically resurrection comes next. Mm-hmm. I would say, I want to know Christ, the fellowship of his suffering, the resurrection from the dead, if, you know, and thereby to know him in his exaltation. That's how you would have said it. I would have said it that way, but he doesn't. He says, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. So I would say that the finest point, the finest tip of, of the spear, if you will, if we're going to get to the, the very narrowest compass point of what, what goal, purpose the gospel gives us is to know him and the fellowship or, and his, the power of his resurrection, <clears throat> that that is the desire. Like Paul didn't really want to suffer. He just saw, and just Christ didn't want to suffer. Christ wasn't like, this is going to be amazing, you know. Um, he, I, I think one of the most compelling things about the passion narrative is, is that Christ didn't go through it like just glowing, resplendent, unmoved, mm-hmm. um, but that he is in agony and begging to be let out. And, um, you know, that he is suffering in a very, in a very deep way um, and that we can go through that with him. And in doing so, find the power of the resurrection. So for Paul, if you look in Romans 8, he talks about that that if we, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, that, he, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. What is life? What is resurrection from the dead? What was Paul trying to attain? Was it eternal life? Did, did Paul say, if I died today, I wouldn't make it to heaven. I hope I can live the Christian life longer so that I can be, I can be worthy of going to heaven. Well, that goes against everything we think we understand, right, about the Christian life. What was this resurrection that Paul said, I am straining toward, have not yet achieved, but expect to achieve in this life? What's this resurrection from the dead? It's not it's not this grand hope of when Christ comes, you can come back. You know, Jesus isn't going to be like, well, you four people throughout all human history, you know, Paul, you get to stay in the ground. Sorry, buddy. He didn't make it. You know, maybe there's St. Francis. You can come and, you know. Well, yeah, it seems like he puts the resurrection first because that power that he's experiencing at Christ's resurrection is what empowers him to do the daily suffering (laughs) for Christ's sake, rather than just suffering a meaningless existence or whatever other forms of suffering you might have. So you experienced, he experienced, and he said, he said, he said, I want to experience the power of his resurrection, meaning I want to experience it in this life, despite the suffering. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about that other passage where he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
Paul experienced, and he's saying that we can experience the power of the resurrection in this life before we are physically raised from the dead. Right, yeah. But the end, But he is also referring to his future bodily resurrection. Do yeah. You, did you, do you not think that? In no, this, you, I don't. Well, in this I'm, passage. Right, because I don't think bodily resurrection is necessarily something we attain to. If it is, we should be really afraid of dying. Um, because it, at the moment of my death, I'm, you know, I'm not putting all my trust in the goodness of God. I'm asking, did I do enough? If Paul says, I have to attain to the resurrection of the dead, then that means, man, it's anybody's guess uh, whether I'm going to have eternal life. Uh, if resurrection from the dead is this hope that we have, and hope is what we need in order to live the Christian life, and yet if we don't live the Christian life correctly, we don't have the hope, you see how we're, t- we're stuck in a double bind. You have to have the hope to live a Christian life, but you have to have the Christian life to have the hope. Now you're screwed. <laughs> you know, and that, I, and so that can't be what Paul is saying. Yeah, it's more like he's saying, <laughs> I'm living the resurrection life now and experience, experiencing that life, and it's the same life that I'm going to have at the actual resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. what did they, I mean, what did they think of as death? as spiritual death mm. what did they think of as spiritual life i mean there were there were there's a whole range of um experiences of life between you know planaria and seraphim <laughs> you know it, it, if we if we're going to extend kind of this uh this range of, of created beings all the way out to heavenly beings and so you've got single cell organisms and you've got us maybe we're in the middle somewhere you know um and, and when we talk about life, we say that thing is alive. You know, is the amoeba alive in the same way that the squirrel is? Is the human alive the same way that the squirrel is? You know, is, are the angelic beings alive the same way that the humans are? That there's, there's life, mm-hmm. then there's life, and mm-hmm. then there's life, you know? And, mm-hmm. and uh, since we only have one word, we, we're kind of impoverished in our vocabulary, but is it like, uh, bi- it is, there's bios life, right? Yeah. Is there zoe life? Yeah. Zoe. That's what we're shooting for. Uh-huh. Right. That's this life that really can't be taken away. This, this energy coming straight from God, you know, this flourishing, um, so this is life. life and this, and, 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 and in, and you're saying, and in Paul's language, that's that life is synonymous with, uh, resurrection life, resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. In these passages that you're reading, right, we're going to experience Zoe life, also known as resurrection life, exactly, also known as resurrection from the dead. Eventually, the- yeah, yes, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. You're right. All connected. It is all connected. But yes, for us, I mean, I think that Paul's goal in this life was to. And this is going to sound heretical, but to live above sin. Um, he saw that that those moments in Romans 7 when he says the thing I hate that I do and the thing that I want to do I don't do that he didn't see that as the normal Christian life you know we we read Romans 7 and we think oh thank goodness Paul suffered through the same things I'm doing I'm obviously not screwing up as bad as I thought I was and so we just you know whatever it is that our besetting sin is then we just Revisited, thinking this is normal. We will go and look at things like Second um, Corinthians twelve and say, "Oh, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, messenger from Satan to buffet him." It was probably that sin he was struggling with in in Romans seven, and it's like, no, that's not it. Paul is he's saying that's not normal. That's not how you're supposed to live. 
Um, this is the in-between. He, he says, you know, and he calls on God to save him. You know, he's like, who is going to deliver me from this dead body? He's saying that that experience when my spirit is going one direction and my body is going the opposite direction is death. That that's the experience of of death, of of death as a principle. So that, you know, someday when my body decides to completely defect and not go along with the program, that, you know, they're going to have to put it in the ground or, you know, whatever they're going to do with it. So my spirit and my body are going to go two different directions completely then. But in the interim, our everyone's spirit and body are going two different directions in smaller ways. And Paul says that that is the law of death. That's the principle of death um, operating within us. And so when, when he says in, in Romans 8, he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Do you think he's referring there to an experience that we have in this life? Yes, because he says you're mortal bodies. And we already know that at the resurrection, we're not going to be given mortal bodies. You know, he says the, the, you know, the perishable can't inherit the imperishable, Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, and, and so there's this, a renewal, a change that must come through in this ultimate hope that we have of, of a new creation, then we're going to have to be newly created. Mm -hmm. But he's saying that in this time, in your mortal bodies, by very definition, the bodies that will physically die mm-hmm. are going to be infused with resurrection life. Now, if we go back to Romans 7 and we say, death is the experience of doing that which you hate and not doing that which you love, that's death. Romans 7. He says, sin tricked me and killed me, and it used the law to do it. Do you remember that whole thing in Romans mm-hmm. 7? Mm-hmm. And Paul's saying that is not normal. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's what happens when you give a holy law to a sin-infected body. Mm-hmm. And, and what that does is it's the law becomes a diagnostic to show that within that person is another principle, and that is death. And death is when you don't do what you want to do. You know, so Paul in, in Galatians five, he says the flesh, you know, desires against the spirit and the spirit longs against the flesh. And these are contrary to, ena- to each other so that you will, you're not able to do what you want to do. So what's the goal to do what you want to do? You know, what is freedom doing what you want to do? And Paul's just simply saying that where sin is still operating within our flesh, we find ourselves unable to do what we want to do and and being thereby bound um we are to some degree dead and you mentioned that paul wants to rise above sin he wants we he he envisions that we can go beyond um that struggle into a place where we're free to do what we want exactly and and that we are getting there i i think paul said you know paul wasn't he didn't expect some quantum leap. He, you know, he's saying, I am currently um, ha- you know, in fellowship with Christ's suffering. And, and we talked about last time, that pressed but not crushed and stuff. So every time he uh, subjected himself to being pressed and he discovered that he wasn't crushed, that his faith grew, his love grew, that the, that the influence of the Spirit it takes more real estate in his life. So the infusion of resurrection life is coming to him in doses. And, and he's finding a degree of victory at each repetition. 
So, you know, this is an interesting idea. So the freedom to do what we want sounds really crazy. Because right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think about, I think about, um, you know, we're talking about true north, you know, call it a, a system that give us guidance and direction to tell us how to live. Um, you know, what I see, you know, in the world and in this life is you kind of got two paths. One is to go more or less towards a more dogmatic system, you know, call that religion or some other dogmatic system that's going to highly structure how things have to be. And if I follow this plan, you know, then I'm going to um, experience and make sense of life and have the kind of life that I want to have. And then um, I think a lot of times people will go the other way into like full on rebellion. I'm just going to do whatever I want Yeah, because your system sucks. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and when people are given this dogma and they're given a prescription about how they're supposed to live their lives, well, Paul says that we, our, our constitution resists that. And psychologists, others do, you know, um, Jung famously said, whatever you resist persists. And, and that's his way of describing what Paul called the law of sin. You know, the, so here's the four spiritual laws. And so anybody that's familiar with uh, Campus Crusade, uh, the, that old track. So I'm talking all you older folks out there, right? Uh, and we had, there was this track that said there are four spiritual laws, right? God created you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. You sinned and then you're fallen. Um, but he, what, Jesus died for your sin and now you can all you have to do is pray this prayer and you can live this wonderful life that God has planned for you. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. Uh, but at any rate, I, I don't really want to critique that, except that those four spiritual laws, you really can't find them like that in the Bible, at least not listed together. But Paul has four spiritual laws that he gives us within two chapters of the Bible. He really, I mean, he really begins unbagging it throughout uh, the book of Romans. But, but let me give you Romans um, seven through eight and here are the four spiritual laws and i'm just going to grab from my memory what it says if you guys don't trust me then read it yourselves okay so what we have is we have the law of god spiritual law one right mount sinai thou shalt not dig everybody follow me so far so paul paul in romans 70 the ten says the ten commandments. right right yeah and are the 613 if you were there observant we Jew, right? That's, that's too many to put up at the Capitol. That's quite a few, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. We want the whole whole thing up there, man. We can only fit 10. That's right. Um, so, you know, the, so he has a, we have this law, this, this directive from God. And, and when we think of a spiritual law, that's probably the only thing we ever think of, that there's this thing that God gave. And, and Paul uh, is kind of notoriously um, of two minds about it. Like sometimes he says things like, you know, the power of sin is the law. That doesn't seem like a very nice thing to say. And other times he says the law is holy and good and all this. And so, and, and it's the both and God gave the law. And so it's not a bad thing. Um, so that's spiritual law. One law of God, God's directive um, that came in through Moses. Okay. Spiritual law, too, is the one that, um, that the law reveals, and that is the law of sin. So Paul says, I, you know, I love this law. I adopt this law. I read, you know, he's like, I was alive once apart from the law. But then the law came and, and um, 
sin, sin revived. Yeah. Right, sin revived and I died. So he, he speaks of sin as this dormant, almost a disease within the human that is, is in there but isn't really recognized or active until it encounters the law of God. Once the law of God comes into us and into our hearts, then the law of sin awakens and says, I'm going to do the opposite of that. Whatever it was that that says, I want to do the other. And, and, you know, we see that. You see that the forbidden fruit has this appeal. We see that in human life. And so he senses that there is a law. It's not a written law. It's more of like a physical law, like gravity, right? Whatever goes up must come down. Whatever God prohibits, we must pursue. So the second law is like a metaphysical, spiritual law right. of sin. Right, and, and uh, right, all the way back in, in Genesis 4, God is talking to Cain, and he Cain's upset. His sacrifice didn't get accepted by God, and God says, why are you upset? Why is your face downcast? You know, sin is, is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so here's this metaphysical principle all the way back in Genesis 4, right? Um, and Paul's saying, it's it's... It's chewing on everybody, yeah. you know. Makes me think of the story in the Old Testament where Josiah and his folks find the the law, yeah, <laughs> in a wall or something. I think, yeah. And uh, they're all excited, and they started reading it, and then they realize, oh, oh crap, yeah, this isn't good. This yeah. is, this isn't good. And they realize that they had been transgressing, yeah, the law this whole time. Now, right. now before that. They were ignorant, so to speak. Right. They didn't yeah. know they were transgressors. Sure. But once they did, then you know, then they're like, "Oh my gosh, we got to get cleaned up." Right. Well, Paul makes the point. If you back up to Romans five, the transgression is not that big of a deal. Transgression is the revelation that there's a sin principle in everybody. Um, that you know, Paul says that God gave the law to increase transgressions. You know, we as moralists and as heirs of the Puritans, we think, man, we've, you know, we've got all these things, these prohibitions we need to avoid. And Paul's like, look, if God's so freaked out about you violating his law, he wouldn't have given it in the first place. But he gave it so that you'd violate it a lot. So his, his so view of morality is different. What sin is. Yes. Yeah. So the law of sin, the law of sin is if God prohibits it, I will do it. Or, you know, that's what sin within us wants to do. It wants to oppose whatever God calls. And so he talks about, you know, I, I got this command that said thou shalt not covet. And I like that command. That's a good command. Uh, but I found that it awakened in me all kinds of lust. So law, the law hit his psyche. And now all of a sudden he can't stop coveting. Um, which then he says is that third law. That's the law of death. The law of death is those who attempt to keep the law will find themselves at odds with themselves. You know, that that this is a state of death when I am, when I hate something and I do it anyway, and I love something and I never do it, this principle is the law of death. And so it's very closely related to the law of sin. If you think about it, the law of sin is kind of a vertical rebellion against God. The law of death is a personal disintegration between my better self, my inner self, and my physical sin-infected self, okay? Law three. Law one, law of God. Law two, law of sin. Law three, law of death. And Paul, it gets to the end of Romans 7, and he says, you know, wretched man that I am, which is where religion leaves you 
So if we turn Christianity into a litany of rules, guess what we're going to end up at? Rule breakers. We're going to say, wretched man that I am. No wonder people don't want this. Uh, you know, this Puritanism, this moralism, it is the farthest thing is the exact opposite. It's on the wrong continent. It's at the opposite compass point from the gospel. We've got to understand that. Okay, so he says, who will set me free from this law of sin and death? Now, now, how does God short circuit? How do we short circuit this law of sin? Well, what happened? The law of sin was awakened by the law of God. How do we, how do we get away from the law of sin and death? How do we get free of it? The law of God has to go away. Huh? That's weird stuff, man. He says, the reason he says this is he, he in Romans 8, 1, he says, therefore, right? What's it there for? Because this was the state I was in as a religious, religiously observant person. And because of that state, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, help me out here. God has, done what, four. God has done what the law was not able to do. Right. You skipped one, though. Okay. He, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who live um, according to the law of the spirit of life. Because, because the law of the spirit of life has set, set me, me free. free from the law of sin and death. Mm-hmm. That's law four. Law four is the law of the spirit of life. And then, yeah, he goes into... For because of what the law couldn't do, because, you know, um, through sin, God did in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh. Um, and so he's now taken us, and we were talking about this before, he's, he's flipped, right? Sin was our jailer. Sin was there walking through the green mile over death row. And now Jesus has come in and said, no, he's acquitted. And he puts sin in the, in the jail cell. And now we're just, you know, we're clinking the bars with our club or whatever it is we do. But, you know, sin is now condemned. Sin is doomed. Sin's demise is certain. And we have been liberated. But it is because we are living under a whole new principle. And, and I'm afraid too many Christians kind of think, oh, man, I... I I knew this guy, and hopefully he'll never hear this podcast because I'm gonna. It's not <laughs> nice to him. But anyway, every time you you meet him, you say, "How are you?" He'd say, "Far better than I deserve." And I'm just like, "What am I gonna do with that?" You know? It's like, yeah, you do suck. Uh, <laughs> you know? Um, but it, it was the religious answer that he'd kind of formulated. You know, and and he had a script. And but that's how we see the Christian life. That we, you know. Being a good Christian means that you sin all the time, but you also beat yourself up for it, and that means you're a good Christian. Yeah. Well, there's it's whole like theologies. Get, it's that like getting out of jail, but you're still wearing the prison outfit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's right. like, yeah, get some yeah. good clothes. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna get you out of jail, but then we're gonna put you in the stocks and have people throw vegetables at you <laughs> at church. Yes. <laughs> That's church. Well, and there's a uh, the reform tradition tends to sort of characterize things that way. Um, the Lutheran and the Reformed tradition tend to see it that way because they, they lift up justification and they have they tend to downplay san- the, the, the role of the Spirit in sanctification. Yeah. Because they don't want to be triumphalists who can who who uh, who envision like this unceasing victory and they're critical of that. So and they want to lift up justification. So they tend to talk about the Christian life that way. I suck, but thank God for Jesus. Right. Um. And and there's a there's a certain way of seeing the gospel and the Christian life that sort of um, justifies that that point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that 
that God can only look at us with favor because he thinks we're Jesus. Like somehow we've yeah, tricked it him. has to be a, a yeah. Big, like we, we've like fictitious. put on this disguise that looks just yeah. like Jesus, and right. God's like, yeah. "Oh, hey, Jesus, how you doing?" Yeah. And we're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know your brother Jesus. He's a very hairy man. Go and make him some food such as he loves. Feed it to him, and he will bless you. Uh, yeah, in that you know, it's like, but if we understand that God has completely changed the system so that it's, it's not a system that we violate, not all the time, that because there is, because he's, he's done away with the lines, he's done away with the prohibitions, that we're not constantly violating something and he's accepting us in spite of it. That's just a hard way to be. I mean, can you imagine if, if your wife was like, you are loathsome, everything you do, disgusts me but because i am gracious i will accept you does that it's so much love is that gonna make for such a great relationship you know um and 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 yet that's how we approach god this is supposed to be analogous to a marriage and and yet god's like man you just you're so gross uh but i'm gonna accept you well and and I, i would say in many christian circles that sounds like good theology right right um for what it's worth. Right. Well, yeah, there's always this sense of, well, God can't condone anything sinful. And because I, I still sin, then, you know, we have to somehow get him to look at us differently. Mm-hmm. Now, how is it now? How is it that it's not true? Right. How mm-hmm. is it that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's the fourth spiritual law, mm-hmm. has um, set us free from the law of sin and death and made it so that that's not good theology? I'll tell you how. Okay. All right. Yay. Okay. So for one, the law is a construct, even God's law. Okay. It. Paul says, "Look, hey, sin was in the world, and people were dying from Adam to Moses. So sin is a principle. It is something, um, you know, like gravity. Nobody has to, you know. I don't know if you ever watched the old Looney Tunes, but you know, Bugs Bunny. He's like, uh, he's on the tree branch, and you know, they they saw it off." Uh, Whoever Elmer Fudd saw it off, he thinks he's going to fall, but then Elmer Fudd, you know, the tree goes down real fast. Elmer Fudd goes, and, and Bugs Bunny's hanging out on a limb in midair, and he says, I know this is against the law of gravity, but I never studied law. Right? And, <laughs> <laughs> right? But you don't have to study law for the law of gravity to apply. And, and just as Cain, you know, Cain committed murder. That's one of the ten. Guess what didn't happen to him? He was not executed. You know, that he did not transgress a law, but that there, but he polluted his environment spiritually. Paul, our God says, your brother's blood is calling to me from the ground. There's, that there's a spiritual pollution that he had introduced. Uh, that there were things that had happened because of what Cain did, but it wasn't because it was a violation of a law that required a prescribed consequence and that because we live in a litigious society that's how we view everything and yet paul's saying look that view of the world doesn't work that laws are written because people are bad but if you assume people are bad they will be right and and but and and if everybody says well i'm a good person i've never been to jail are you gonna be like wow you are good you're going to be like, you're not supposed to go to jail. You know? <laughs> this doesn't make you a good person. Uh, and, and all the law can ever do is, is get us to that place. But the law is a construct, and sin is not limited to violating a prohibition. 
that that was a very late addition. And for Paul, it was a parenthetical. It was like, you know, you planted a sapling, you put a little stake next to it, but your goal is to get that stake out of the ground. And that's what happened. Yeah. If you murder somebody and you don't get caught, does that make you not a murderer? <laughs> In some societies, maybe, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yet there are things that uh, happen, laws, spiritual laws, if we go back to spiritual laws, that don't need enforcing. Um, they are real and they will kind of take their pound of flesh. Things will happen, consequences and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, the violation of the law is, is not the definition of sin, according to Paul. So, uh, but yes, we have to be aware of sin. No, we shouldn't be aware of infractions. Um, and that's different because sin in essence is um, unbelief and not not that we have doubts we I mean you know we do but it's it's this failure to trust God a, a choice of my own wisdom my own sense of the best thing to do in this moment over what this principle of love this principle of faith is leading me toward that's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is a pursuit of those virtues that are inherent to the life of the Trinity. Yeah. So never making mistakes is not, not the goal. It's, right. it's putting our trust in this, this new law, the law of spirit of life rather than in ourselves yes. or in something else, or even in the, the law of, the old law of God. Exactly. <laughs> As yeah. the Jews did, right? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, you look at, um, oh, what, what is it? Um, Les Miserables, right? And there's a point in there where the servant lies to the authorities and gets them off of Jean Valjean's back. And he comes in and says, and she's like, you know, just undone because she's never lied in her life. And she's like, I lied. And, he, and you know, and he's like, and God bless you for that lie. Um can we say that? Because for us, um, do not lie is something that we always tell people. And, you know, the God is of the truth and all that. At the same time, if the Nazis come and we're hiding the Jews, what do you do? <laughs> you know, that, that, that a lie can be according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus if it is done in love, if it is for the good of somebody else. So, you know, you, you run into these ethical dilemmas if you're a dogmatist and you say it's always wrong to do this, it's always right to do that. Um, but if you realize that, hey, this is the principle of cruciform love, resurrection trust, this is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that because of the law, because we encounter the spirit through resurrection power, we find him. That power of the resurrection that Paul wanted was, was the spirit. So when we face this hopeless circumstance or this suffering or whatever it is and we and we face it in a we go through it because of love and we trust God's power in the middle of it then what we find is the Holy Spirit takes more real estate in our life he is the one who brings that resurrection power and what Paul is saying is is that I'm going to go through that repetition I'm going to have fellowship with that suffering I'm going to taste that resurrection power I'm going to do it again and again until the principle of sin no longer has an effect and I am completely free 
instead of doing what I want most of the time, I'm going to do what I want all of the time. And if that's the goal, then what we find is, is that there's, there's a myriad of expression. You know, Paul, Paul says, look, I've become all things to all people, right? And so those who are under the law, I become like one under the law. To those who are not under the law, I become like that person, you know? Are, are, are there times when we engage in an activity because we love somebody, even though that is not something that we're inclined to do or whatever, but we just choose to do it, but we're free to do it, you know? And, and that's the beauty of, of the gospel. It's what you were saying, Alex, that we seem stuck between dogmatic misery and kind of being adrift on our own hedonistic rebellion. desires. <laughs> yeah, rebellion, but rebellion comes with a whole set of other miseries yeah. that people don't really see on the front end. You know, uh, like in the Pinocchio, you really are becoming a jackass. You just don't know it, you know? <laughs> so it's really apropos that Well, well I that think image. the dogmatic path can lead you to be a jackass as well. Sure, actually. yeah, but everybody knows it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but it seems, according to Paul, if we look at like those passages like 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10, where he says all things are lawful but not all things are helpful, that the Christian standard is not dogma. It is an objective praxis. It is like you just used a you just used a churchy or a academic word praxis. Yeah, right. It's it's objective pragmatism. So if if everything were pragmatism, I couldn't I couldn't hold you to a standard, and you couldn't hold me to one because it's all subjective, right? You you get to decide what's best, and I get to decide what's best. So leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. But that's not the Christian life either. We're in community. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to confront one another. How do we do that if we don't have an objective standard? Uh, well, we don't have a prescriptive standard. We have an objective standard, but the objective standard is cruciform love, resurrection faith. Now, I can know when I'm doing that and when I'm not. You can know, in some cases, when I'm doing that and when I'm not. For instance, if I behave in ways that are hypocritical, like with Peter, you know, in, in Galatians 2, or, you know, that there's this, you can see that I have capitulated to the moment rather than lived according to a guiding principle. Then you can call me out. It may be that you can't find a single prohibition in the Bible for what I'm doing. Let me give you an example. Um, so Uriah, he's the guy that, you know, that's going to call me on the carpet for stuff and things like that. But I remember one time, it's just really vivid memory. So I'm having breakfast, uh, with him and somebody I went to high school with comes in the door <laughs> and, and they're asking about my life and you know, well, where do I live now? And I was, you know, and I'm like, well, I live in Springdale in the historic district. And what I meant was I live in an old house. Uh, but I, I said, and, and did I do anything wrong? No. As soon as she left, he was like, you know, you said something really bothered me. And, and he called me out on that. Did I say something wrong? No. Was he right? Absolutely. You were, yeah. You told yeah. no lie, but right. he, he could detect the motive. Exactly, yeah, and, and we can do that with each other so that we don't need a prescriptive set of rules because that's going to awaken in us the law of sin and the law of death. So we've got to get away from that so that we can live by the law of the Spirit of life, and that is not a law of just constant infraction and prayer for forgiveness. It is a law of, as you alluded to, from glory to glory. 
So what if someone says, now God has given us a new law, and that law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And some people see that as a condemning law because mm-hmm. they say, I fall short of that all the time, and so I suck, and I have to confess and repent continuously. And Certainly. I find that I do confess and repent yeah. on a regular basis. Uh, relate that, which seems to be moving like in the right direction, like yeah. the new law, yeah. uh, the commandment to love. Can you relate that to what you just said? Sure. Uh, somewhat, maybe. Uh, maybe not in every case, but I think that, number one, the law to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is not the new law because those were the old law. That's a summary of the old right, law. They're in the old, well, they're in the old law. They come from the old law. They're a summary yeah. of the old law. The new law is love each other as I've loved you. Mm-hmm. New, um, new commandment and, I'm giving you. Right. And, and so... Yes, Jesus has is, is given us the old commandment, but he's made it new by demonstrating it, which means that I, I don't aim at love as a disembodied principle. I aim at Christ, and I find myself loving. Um, and, so that's, I, I, and, and so that the negative doesn't become you failed to love in this way, because I, honestly, I can't love everybody in every way that I would like to or that they would want me to, but what I can do is I can focus on Christ. I can trust him. And so today I might trust him um, to, you know, have me just spend a day with him and not pay attention to the people around me. Have I failed in that way? Well, yeah, if I'm just at, if I'm just keeping up with how loving I'm being to how many people. But if I ask, did I trust him with the outcome of my day? And so I think that the Romans 14, 23 has a passage, has a verse, you know, and a principle that I wish were more prevalent in the Bible so I wouldn't have to keep quoting the same verse. But Paul says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say that the negative law, that the, uh, the backhand of this kind of system is when you do something out of fear or out of anxiety or out of just a practical considerations, rather than a trust in God. I think it's that trust in God that allows us to love. Like, if I go out to love everybody, I'm going to become just as miserable. I will be just as much of a failure. I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't. I don't have it. But what I can do is I can trust him implicitly. And when he takes off of my shoulders all of that, even my love score, I find myself able now to love. Mm. And, and that's how it. the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Yep. The fourth spiritual law. We're free because we have a goal. Back to the true north. Boom. Uh, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> not, I'm not done. I'm, you, I sewed it up. I sewed it up. Now you're trying to open. You're ripping the seams out. Uh, okay, no, go ahead. But, but go see, ahead. I wanted to get back to that phrase in Romans, the beginning of Romans 8, and ask the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is like a, fr- is like a summary statement. I'm asking, is it a summary statement that uh, is meant to capture what God has done through Christ in the cross Mm -hmm. and in the sending of the Holy Spirit, the the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus and in the sending of the Holy Spirit to accomplish? And that that all of that is encompassed in that phrase, the Mm -hmm. law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Right. It was... That law was um, instituted by Christ through his dying and rising, and that that law continues to operate in us as we subject ourselves to elements of his suffering, and that we trust God implicitly in that, and we discover, just as 
in the law of sin and death, it's absolutely certain that if someone's prohibited a thing, they will be gra- they will gravitate toward it. That's a law, right? So it is that when we in faith subject ourselves to the suffering of Christ, and if you read on down in Romans 8, he says, we will be glorified with him if we suffer with him. Mm-hmm. That's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and he, and he also talks about putting to death the deeds of the body. Exactly, exactly, again and again. And, and that's not just some sort of a mind game. But what I've found is, is instead of, uh, say you're struggling with a particular sin, and, and instead of trying to find the strength within yourself to do that sin, to just give that sin to God and, and to say, look, I'm not going to overcome that sin. I'm just going to die to it in this moment. Because when you die to something, you're not asking, how am I going to avoid this tomorrow? Yeah. You know, you're just saying, I'm, I'm dead to it right now. And what he will do is he will bring life in he'll bring new things in he'll begin to displace whatever is causing us to crave that sin he'll push it out of our well, life that, that's the life of the spirit the indwelling of the spirit yes. that it's not that we just somehow attain these principles you know in, in a new context there's the reality that now uh, because of the resurrection that the holy spirit is actually working inside of us sure. to not only desire these good things, but to to live them out so that that, that trust becomes an, an empowerment where God comes and says, hey, I'm going to, you know, because you have submitted this to me, you know, I'm going to come in and help work this within you through my own spirit. And so that that's even more amazing. <laughs> right, right. I mean... Paul in Galatians 5, he says this. Like, you know, we read that the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And what we do is we turn that into a list of things to avoid and a list of things to pursue. That's so messed up, man. That's just a legalistic mindset. And he's not saying that. And if we would get Galatians 5.16 is a is a promise. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not mm-hmm. fulfill the lust of the flesh, the works of the flesh. You will and have you will risen not. above it. You will right. have risen above it and gone beyond Exactly. Sin. Exactly. And so he's writing this to people who were thinking about the law and the prescriptions. And he says, look, if you do that, you're cut off. This, this flow of grace is just, it's, it's, it's squelched by your efforts. And he says, but if you will walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill. And so the Christian life is not supposed to be a constant struggling against the same sins until you die. It is supposed to be going from glory to glory, which we can never do in our own strength, which is why it's all of faith. Amen. Hey, we said we were going to explore the gospel, and we did. Thanks for being with us. You all. We'll see you next time.